Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more. More meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. Hi, everyone. How are you? This is Self-Compassionate Professor. I'm Danielle Delamar, and this is episode 63. So I am right now recording this at 5.59 a.m. I slept in this morning. I don't usually sleep this late, but I seriously just woke up and stumbled down here. into the basement. I haven't, we haven't moved into our new house where I will not be in the basement anymore, but for now I'm still in the basement. Um, stumbled into the basement and started recording this. And I got to say, I am so thankful for audio only. <laughs> you all do not want to see me right now. I'm just a disaster. <laughs> and I don't know about you all, but I am feeling just a sense of like, oh my gosh, if I spend one more minute with my family, I'm going to pull all my hair out. (laughs) This sort of pandemic, like, I can't get away, and neither can they. And, oh my God, we have no space and no time. And I just, I thrive on time. I'm I'm an introvert. I'm a highly sensitive person. Like, oh my gosh, I just need time and space, like, alone. Um. So, yeah, um, I'm sure you all can relate um, if you are one of those people who is, you know, living on top of your family. Um, My mom is single and she's been all by herself this whole time. And for her, it's been exactly the opposite experience, right? Just this like desperate need to see people. So yeah, whatever your experience is, I hope you're doing okay, because I know that things have gotten really rough over a year into this. Um, So yeah, sending love, whatever your experience. So today I interviewed a former colleague of mine, Dr. Mike Farmer, and Mike talks about a common academic experience. Um... He talks about navigating a toxic work environment and how he eventually left the university he was at, a public university, and ended up going to a private university. He was the department chair at the public university, and he accepted a job as department chair at the universities he is at now. And one of the big reasons I wanted to talk to him on the podcast is that he got sick, like his heart started doing some really weird stuff. And um, he started not being able to sleep. And he'll talk about this stuff in the interview. But um, it was very clearly related to the toxicity that he was navigating every day at his job. And having had this conversation with him, it made me think of a book I have. It's called Polyvagal Exercises for Safety and Connection. And it's something I use in my coaching. 
it's a book by Deb Dana and and the foreword of the book is written by the founder of polyvagal theory. Um, his name is Stephen Porges, and this is what he writes. Being a professor is a demanding position that includes managing laboratories, teaching undergraduate students, mentoring graduate students and junior colleagues, writing grants and generating resources for research, networking within a discipline, welcoming professional tasks such as reviewing colleagues' manuscripts and grant proposals, and serving on committees within institutions. Some of us also have served in administrative roles within institutions and professional societies, while others have built liaisons with government agencies and industry. This complex portfolio of experience has given me insight into how I developed and accepted the specific benchmarks that define my personal goals. As I observed my colleagues, I realized that many professors were frustrated at the end of their careers. They seemed to feel that they were not successful and had not accomplished anything meaningful. This self-evaluation was often structured by their institutions, encouraging them to retire and their sense that they had not received the recognition that they felt they had deserved. They felt that no one remembered them and their contributions. My colleagues had spent decades defining themselves in terms of the structure of academic evaluations. And when they were no longer able to fund their research through federal grants, they felt abused and neglected. Basically, the academic world with its chronic evaluation strategies had triggered the bodies and minds of my colleagues into a chronic state of defense. For many who did not have a positive transition narrative, the experience of being a professor ended up abusive and isolating. Okay, I'm gonna skip a few paragraphs here. He goes on to say, when I was about 50, I started to think about personal transitions within academics. I realized that a passive stance toward what the institution defined as, as success would lead only to disappointment and frustration as I aged. I started to operationalize what I personally needed to accomplish to feel that my journey was successful. And in this, Stephen Porges goes on to say that he decided to create his theory, polyvagal theory, which is a, a psychological theory. Um, he decided to integrate it and push it out into the world and help with sort of this larger mission of psychological health. And he tried to make sure that it was put in the hands of, you know, educational institutions and therapists, but just put out there into the world where it could be used and practiced. And he said he needed that so that he could see his career as successful apart from university values. And honestly, it made me think of a couple of my interviews. Um, I'm thinking about Dr. Rebecca Schisler Marshall on episode 22, and also Dr. Alyssa Ackerman on episode 46. Both of those guests, while both still very much academics, found that the most fulfilling work they were doing was outside of academia and doing things that were going to affect change in the bigger world. 
And Alyssa was really clear on this. She said it was actually the work she was doing outside of the university that kept her energized enough and fulfilled enough to do the work she had to do at the university. Anyway, my conversation with Mike, um, as he talks about this sort of search for stability in his work, triggered all of this for me. So yeah, let me go ahead and introduce you to him now. Here's the interview. Thank you so much for joining the conversation today. I'm talking to my former colleague, Dr. Mike Farmer, professor and department head of computer science at Kettering University. Mike, thank you for being here. Oh, you betcha, Danielle. Great fun. I'm glad that it was fun to hook up with you again over, over LinkedIn and, and you know, reestablish some connections with people. Absolutely. And it's so funny because we were just talking about how we were on the same campus back in the day. I mean, I left in 2018, in May of 2018. And when did you leave? Uh, just uh, this summer, 2020. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. It's so, yeah, it, I didn't realize it had been that recent. Um, but we were running sort of in the same circles, but we were talking about how over LinkedIn when we were chatting, we hadn't actually had like a full conversation before until now, which is hilarious. Exactly. Um, it shows the nature of a big <laughs> campus. You just, you walk by people all day long and don't actually interact with them. Right. Yes. Um, but my husband knows you and was very happy to know that you were going to be on the podcast. And so let's um, let's talk about what happened. So I know there was some help stuff and this is a career wellness podcast for academics. And so um, talk about your breaking point. Why did you leave that campus and why did you find yourself, you know, now at this private institution? Yeah, sure. There were a few things. So, you know, it is with most things kind of like the frog in the water, you keep, you know, that, that eventually gets boiled. You notice little things like occasionally you're up mm -hmm. at two in the morning, then every night you're up at two in the morning. And the real thing that happened though is, is one morning in making breakfast, my heart literally just took off. It started, it was, I, had a, I monitored the heart rate. It was 180 beats a minute making breakfast out of nowhere. So, and it was a one-off event and I thought, well, that was no big deal. But then they started coming more frequently and more frequently. So I went to a heart doctor and uh, he basically told me if I, if it gets any worse, they're going to have to literally go in with a, with a soldering iron and burn parts of my heart to stop the electrical signals. So that's kind of a sign that something's not quite right when someone needs to take a soldering iron to your heart, right? <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Not right at all. So it was funny where my wife reminded me of this, you know, and I was going over some of the questions with her, some of the, some of the, the real breaking point was I was in the, the office with the doctor and, and my heart was behaving that day and, and it wouldn't misbehave. And, and he's like, well, I can't do much if I can't see the effects, so we'll just have to put a monitor on you. And my wife goes, what, what is your dean's name again? And I mentioned her name, and the, the extra heartbeat started like crazy. Whoa. It was wow. literally within seconds of just mentioning her name. That's how toxic the situation had gotten. Oh, okay. Okay. And did you had you made the connection at that point? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> blind man would have to. I kind of knew beforehand because there were so many passive aggressive things going on. In fact, I had one one of, one of my colleagues, um, he took over managing the graduate program that I had managed before I became department chair there. And so he met regularly with her and, and he 
stopped me in the hall one day and he goes, Mike, did you like run over her dog or something? And I'm like, why would you ask such an odd question? He goes, because literally every time we sit down, I'm never asked about the program. I'm never asked about the students. I'm never asked about enrollment. I'm asked literally, what's Mike doing wrong that he should be fixing? Oh, it, so I was clearly just being really targeted and, and it was showing up in so many different places. She's using different faculty, giving them, you know, private little perks in order to, to basically just cause chaos in the department. And mm. it, it was just reaching ahead. And so, you know, it was one of those situations where it's an environment where you can't control what's going on, where you're doing a, what you think is a good job and it's being undermined every step of the way. It just eventually starts to eat at you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what else was going on? So your heart like races at the mention of your dean's name. And then what else is happening um, that where you're starting, where you're really putting two and two together like this? This is clearly about the job and the toxic environment. Exactly. So, you know, driving the work, you'd, I would start to get this like, you know, the green mile feel like a dead man walking, just driving in the campus. You'd you'd dread the just to drive in, you know? I mean, so that, but my wife was pretty, she's, she's really smart about things. So she's like, well, why don't you try experimenting? Why don't you drop all of your service commitments? So quit chair, quit the, all the things you were doing and just teach and do research and see if you could be happy in that, you know? Um, and so I tried it for three months and it really didn't make much difference, uh, which okay. was interesting. It, you know, I, I thought it'd be a big difference, but it really made no difference. And, and I found that there was, it was not just the situation with the dean. There were so many other things. You know, the campus was becoming more student unfriendly. They had a dining hall where literally they didn't even have dinner options. You know, we taught night classes sometimes and there'd mm-hmm. be no nowhere to have dinner. Um, the, the food was a salad and burgers and, and that's all they serve the kids for dinners now. And, and they kept cutting back all kinds of student service things. So the students just weren't even on campus anymore. You, you'd find that class ended and it was a graveyard. And so that the whole feeling of the campus was just really devolving in front of our eyes, which was sad because it was a, it was a vibrant, nice campus. You know, I started 15 years before and they had on-campus concerts and they had bouncy houses on, on you know, move-in day. And it was just fun. And all those things just gradually were just taken away and it, it just became such a tedious place to be at. Okay. So here you are, you're realizing this is not working for me. At what point do you say to yourself, I need to find a way to leave? Exactly. That was tough. I mean, it, you know, the easiest would be just retire, but I, you know, I wasn't in a position to do that and really was just, was too young too. So I um, started looking around for positions as, you know, department heads at different schools as, as Dean. Cause I, you know, after 15 years, I was department head for the last four. So I was a pretty good position if I wanted to, to try you know, moving to a Dean position. And there were a few openings for those, but then, you know, the pandemic hit. So I was trying to do a job change and COVID hit. So mm. I had a bunch of, you know, it was a finalist on a few Dean searches, finalist at, at, at the catering for the department head and literally everything just shut down. And I was like, how could I get any more unlucky? This is just crazy. Right. Mm. But fortunately, you know, uh, catering restarted their, their search, um, you know, about six weeks later, probably like that. And, uh, and the rest is history. I took, took the offer and just been, been so happy to be there. It's a, just a diff, totally different kind of culture being in a little small school like that. Okay. So let me just say for listeners so that they have sort of a grasp on um, this. So you're moving from a public university 
to this private college. And I want everyone to know that this is like in the same city. So you don't even have to move. Like you just go to, you just like go down the street. basically. Exactly. I could literally canoe down the river and a half mile down the river. I'd be at one campus <laughs> or the other. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So how amazing is that? First of all, um, because so many of us have to give up our lives to, to go to a, a, an entirely new campus. Um, so in terms of this new job, how is it working out? I, I know you said the transition from public to private was a little hard, um, but you also have said that there's some really great perks about it. Exactly. I mean, one of the big differences at public school, there's lots of money. I mean, there's, you know, people always say, well, you know, there's budget cuts and things like that. But in general, um, there's just a lot of money to get things done. I had, you know, as the department chair there, I had control of, you know, just an insane amount of money. Most deans don't have that much. Um, so, you know, and so at a smaller school that it, things are more centralized. So the most of the budget decisions are made higher up. Um, but the thing I found most refreshing about it was the focus. You know, I found that, it, you know, at the big school, there's so many departments vying for for resources and they, they tended to there tend to be a lot of infighting, right? This department wanted something, you wanted something, and there's always had to be decisions of A got it or B got it. And and sometimes it just left bad taste in people's mouths and that built up over time. But I found at Kettering, there's just such a clear focus. As a matter of fact, I referred to a, to a friend of mine the other day that, that being in a big public is kind of like working for um, like a large corporation. And mm. being in a private school is kind of like working for a family business. Mm. You know, so there's there's lots of activity going on in the big corporation and things, but it, you know, a lot of times the departments don't get along. They don't cooperate with each other. They're all doing their own thing. Whereas at the family-owned business, you got that family that vision from the top, um, and everybody gets it. They know where they're going, and we have a really clear vision of the future. Um, so any programs align with that vision, um, and you know whether or not something you should propose is going to fit in with that because it's well established and you're not, you know, just sort of guessing where you, where you need to go next. It's not just about enrollment. It's about, you know, enrollment with a purpose. We're, we're going to accomplish this and, and teach students this particular thing. And in our case, it's mobility. Kettering was originally General Motors Institute, so they have a real strong um, history of in the automotive sector. And, and so now we're in moving really heavily forward in mobility and mobility systems, things like autonomous driving, smart cities, all the, all the things related to that. And so it's very easy to, to, to think of how your day-to-day -day actions and the things you want to accomplish fit into that mission just really clearly. There's never a question, or, am I aligned or not? And that's really refreshing to walk in every day and know that what you're doing is it has a clear purpose and a clear direction and it's measurable and it, it fits in with other people's efforts. And so you get, you know, really nice collaboration. You get good synergy building off of, you know, other departments and things. And, and that, that I find just so refreshing. That's what I always thought academia was supposed to be. Um, not the old infighting and clawing each other for resources. So it was, it's quite nice. Wow. Okay. So now, because we can do this with you, because you've had such an interesting career, um, you know, I talk to academics on the podcast and, and so often, you know, 
it's they've been at a university and then they have left the university or at least changed their approach to the work they're doing at the university. But you were in industry for 20 years and then you went to a public institution and now you're at a private institution. And so will you talk a little bit about the differences between that industry work that you did? Like, I, I know you said that the public university is sort of like a large corporation. Um, what are sort of the similarities between that and um, what you experienced at the public university? Sure, sure. So yeah, so industry, you've got, you know, a lot of different projects going on, a lot of different divisions, all trying to accomplish things. And, you know, in the industry, the, the bottom line is, is revenue. Uh, in academia, the bottom line is enrollment numbers. And, but, it, but it's a similar kind of thing. You've got organizations going after revenue, going after enrollments um, with, you know, different purposes, different objectives, different, different approaches. Um, and they, it's sometimes really hard to get them to align. You could even have organizations compete with each other, you know, co, you know, copying courses that you teach to in order to get revenue from your students and, and little infighting like that. And you see the same thing in industry: mm-hmm. people launching products that overlap with another division's product, and you know, and, and a lot of times they just the, the top level executives' attitude was survival of the fittest. We'll let them just fight it out and see who wins. And I kind of got that. I think that was sort of the same attitude at the at the public too. It's a survival of the fittest kind of thing, and just let people hack it out. Um, whereas the private is, I, I think, much more concerned with um, you know the school's name and the school's reputation and, and the school's niche in the world. Because smaller schools, small privates have to have a niche, right? They 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 can't be all things to all people. And frankly, even big universities can't be all things to all people. Some things always suffer. It's just they're they're often not willing to to make the decisions as to what things are suffering and should be shut off. They just let everything just keep running. Um, whereas the private is really clearly focused in terms of their niche. And, and, and I think that that's healthy for people. They, they, they know their work has meaning at the end of the day. They know it's, it's helping other people and helping the university as a whole and not, you know, you don't get into these, these, these little arguments back and forth from department to department or school to school and, and campus to campus that you get at some of these larger schools. So one of the things I'm thinking about as you say all of this is the stability piece. Because uh, before the recording, you had said, you know, I left industry because I was looking for stability. Um, you know, I, I had survived all these layoffs and that's what I needed. And um, it's interesting because I, uh, you tell me where I'm wrong, but it feels like you have been looking for stability and you have found it in a private university. Yeah, no, I think, I think you've, you've actually nailed it. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things about industry too, is they can change their mind quickly. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before we were talking that when I hired in at the one division I worked at, there were a hundred of us. There's a research uh, arm of a, a fortune 50. When I left, I was one of three people. So, you know, we had, we had worse survival rate than the Navy SEALs training, you know, <laughs> which is, <laughs> Kind of crazy for, <laughs> you know, it's definitely crazy considering, you know, that's just not the way, way things ought to be. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I was definitely looking looking for that level of stability. And, and the, the, the idea of tenure and, and things were really, really attractive. Um, but again, you know, one of the things that you can find is that can also end up being a trap, too. You, you can be in an organization where you don't really feel comfortable after a while, maybe the organization changed direction, maybe, you know, just whatever, wasn't a fit from the beginning, but you didn't want to 
want to think about it. But now you're stuck there. And, and with academia, it's hard to move around. You know, people sometimes try, maybe they don't try because of the, the reputation of the, the quote tenure trap where you're you're stuck in, in a particular situation. And and that feeling of being stuck is really unhealthy for people. They, you know, that learned helplessness that there's nothing they can do. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a dangerous path to go down. So um, you know, I, I think switching over helped me a lot um, in, in terms of that, like you said, that feeling of stability, that, that idea of every day you wake up with this, with the same common purpose um, it has been just so refreshing at, at, uh, at Kettering. I think it's, and I think all the other faculty there see the same thing that I notice in, in meetings and things that there's just not the contentiousness that you'd see at governing faculty meetings at at the larger schools. So I want to ask about the, um, I guess I want to ask, like, what if this hadn't worked out? I mean, here it is, COVID and all of these um, hiring freezes. And, you know, you got lucky enough for this position to reopen and you're already in the area and you were able to move into um, department chair uh, at in computer science at Kettering, um, what would have happened? I mean, I'm just asking you, I guess, to think about sort of, or, or to tell us what your backup plan was, had you not been able to get to the private institution? Did you, had you had those kind, kinds of conversations with your spouse and what sort of things were you thinking about? Yeah, yeah, I, we were, and it was, it was tough. One of the, one of the chances is, is try to get back in the industry, um, so I was dusting off the resume, trying to see if there's some things that could fit. But again, you know, having been out of it for 15 years, that and then being, you know, an, an older guy, it's tough. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ageism, and it would have been really, yeah. really tough. Maybe not impossible, um, but tough. So I was, I was reestablishing some connections with people that I'd worked with, and hey, where you at? What you doing? You know, any openings? Things like that. So throwing some feelers out. Um, I see. But yeah, but low level because I, I still thought the academic world was a was a better fit. Um, you know, I, I figured with you know the numbers of layoffs and things in industry, I could maybe go back and, and survive five more years. Um, but I didn't really feel like I wanted to go back. Um, it would have been a would have been an unfortunate fallback. Um, but you know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. But so I did open up a lot. You know, searched a lot of the area around Michigan and Ohio and thought, well, even if I have to drive, you know, hundred miles or something, I can try to make it work. Um, but like you said, I got you didn't have to. crazy <laughs> lucky. Yeah. Crazy lucky. Sometimes, you know, you can be smart. You can be lucky. I guess I, I'm really good at being lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I'm thinking like, you've got, um, you've got the industry job, you know, that you were in early on in your career. And, um, you said there were some health problems there and that was an indicator to you that you needed to leave. And that's when you found, um, higher ed. And then again, you have health issues here at the public university and you're like, okay, I got to get out of here. So. I'm just wondering, what is your health like now um, at this private institution? It's amazing. I've I've not had a single heart event since I switched. Not a single one. I've 
haven't had any loss in night's sleep. So it's it's literally like somebody just flicked a switch. It, it it's it's actually mind-boggling is the only word that comes to mind because it's so binary and so dramatic. Wow. Okay. And so I would, I know I told you that I wanted you on the podcast because I wanted you to tell this story about your health um, and, and how clear it was that it was connected to the job. And I wanted you to tell the story because I know there are so many of us out there in academia who are going through similar stuff and we feel pretty isolated. And in fact, I Googled something like my academic job and what came up was, is making me miserable, is making me depressed, is making me sick, is making me all of these things, right? Um, and so I want people to hear your story so that they know they're not alone, first of all. And then secondly, is there, having been through it yourself, a couple times actually, having been through this, um, is there any advice you would offer to others who, who are find themselves in similar situations right now? Yeah, a few things. I, the, the bit, I think the first one is, is if you feel stuck, it's often just a feeling. It's not reality. Um, you know, we, you know, for example, you spend so much time getting tenure and, and all that. And you're like, oh, I can't possibly do that again. I can't. Pos-. And so we, it's really funny. Henry Ford had a really interesting quote. Um, whether you tell yourself you can or you tell yourself you can't, you're right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's just such a great quote for this because because I was setting up the same kind of conversations in my head. Oh, I, it's going to be too hard. No one's going to, you know, I'm an older guy. Nobody's going to going to going to want me. Nobody's going to do this, you know. Um, and it was all just just make believe in our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mark Twain had a similar one. He says something. I've I've uh, I've lived through many, many miserable things in my life, some of which actually happened, you know, something like that. <laughs> I paraphrase it badly, but most of the, you know, most of the things are in our heads and, and have just try to take a step back. Now, for one of the interesting things is, um, you know, my wife's a big fan of Farnham Street. I don't know if you follow them at all. It's a, a podcast about uh, industry and, and, you know, uh, you know, big mega trend kind of things in industry. And they had a really cute little decision journal uh, that, that they, uh, mail out if you're interested in things. And it asks all kinds of cool things like, you know, state your problem. What are the variables? What are the possible complications? What's your outcomes? And what, what do you think the probabilities are? And it just sort of helps you fill things out and, and take take some of the emotion out. But I'd encourage yeah. people to basically make themselves a little decision journal and just write down what are the things that, that the different outcomes that could happen. And then, you know, write the probabilities then and revisit them the next day. And you know, how realistic was I that it's 90% chance I'm never going to find another mm. job, you know, and how much mm. it was just, just fear. Cause we do tend to make our own, own uh, limitations actually, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> amazingly bad and amazingly good when you realize, golly, if I'm not making my own, there's things I can maybe do that I never even thought about doing before. So one last question and well i guess technically two last questions second to last is um are you okay with people connecting with you on linkedin if they if you know if your sort of experience is sparking something for them and they might want to have a little conversation with you would you be willing to um offer sort of your contact information and 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 a, a willingness to to talk Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm always willing to help. I guess that's the, the professor side of us, right? We're always willing to, mm-hmm. to step up and, and help people. So yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. 
Okay, awesome. And so we can find you on LinkedIn, Mike yep. Farmer, PhD. I think that's how it's listed. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. And then the other question I wanted to ask is just, um, we just talked about your career journey and we just talked about the things that you've learned and um, advice you give to others. Um, is there anything you would want to end with to make this conversation feel complete to you? I guess just, you know, it goes back to the, the don't limit yourself. Um, you know, think, you know, always consider possibilities that, that seem way out there. They may not actually be, be that far out there. Um, you know, the world will set enough limitations for you. Try not to set that many for yourself. Mm. Wow, what a great way to end. Great. Mike, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciated the conversation. Oh, you bet, Danielle. Great fun. Great fun. Thanks for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. Find me on LinkedIn at Danielle Delamar, on Twitter and Instagram at Danielle SC Prof, or schedule a free coaching consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Be well.